have that, uh, nothing, nothing, nothing yet? You don't want the score. We don't need the score. God is an awesome God, and it's good to come together to worship Him this morning. I believe that we are in the midst of a movement of God in our culture and in our country and around the world. I think we've been in this movement of God for a while now, and God's voice is inviting us this morning to be awakened to this movement if we have not yet realized that the Spirit of God is at work in our communities and in our world. As uh, Tammy and I and our family have moved around the country over the last 20 years, we've lived in a variety of different cities, we've served in a variety of different churches, and it seems very clear to me in all those places that we've lived that God is putting on the heart of his church to turn outward to want to make a difference in their community. God is inviting the church in America and around the world to be a part of his mission of love to the world, to no longer be just inward focused, but to be outward focused, and to see how we can not only meet the needs of the community around us, but that we can be a part of solving the problems of our communities and our world. Many churches today are asking the hard questions. They're working to raise awareness about the issues and the struggles that people are having in their communities and the needs that are going on and asking, how can we be a part of the solution? And they're not only looking outside themselves to the community, but but they're also looking beyond themselves as an individual church to reach out and partner with other sister churches, even across denominational lines, recognizing, you know what, we can do more and better together than we can separated and individually. And they're not even reaching across denominational lines to other churches, but they're actually reaching out to local governments, and they're partnering with mayors and police departments and fire departments to say, you know what, we can even partner with people who don't see eye to eye with us on spiritual issues because we believe that God's call is is a bigger call. His kingdom goes beyond just our perspective and that we can make even more impact if we invite more and more people to be a part of finding solutions. People are partnering with business leaders and civic leaders who also have a heart to make a difference in their communities. I'd like to suggest to us this morning that in many ways, we as the church of Jesus Christ in the United States, and and I am assuming even around the world, are recovering a sense of our prophetic voice. We are rediscovering deep meaning and value in the prophetic scriptures like the one we sang today from Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Let's turn there in the scriptures to to look at that verse this morning. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, the prophet Micah says, he has shown you, oh mortal, because it includes you women too. It's not just us men, right? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, often the the prophetic voice of Scripture comes to us with the goal of raising our awareness, waking us up to a reality that is all around us that maybe we are not seeing, maybe we're not privy to, maybe we're not paying attention to. 
And as you look through the prophetic voice in Scripture, and as you look through the prophetic voice in the Christian community, that prophetic voice is designed to to reawaken us to our, our own condition, to our own heart, to our own community and the realities around us, and to awaken us to awareness of what this relationship with God is intended to be and to do in us and for us and through us. You see, this is often the goal of the prophetic voice is to teach us what relationship with God is really supposed to be all about. We, we're familiar with this verse from Micah, probably a lot of because of this song, right? We, to love mercy, do justice, walk humbly with your God. But, but I think it would also be helpful to look at the larger context in which this prophetic voice comes to us. I'd turn back to Micah chapter 6 again. Let's just go back a few verses and start in verse 6 and look at what leads up to verse 8. The prophet Micah says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? You see, this is a worship question. This is a worship verse. As we talk about coming to worship God this morning, as we worship God with all of our lives, with all that we have and all that we are, our time, our talent, our treasure, the question of Micah is a question that we all come to worship with every Sunday. With what shall I come before the Lord? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil, Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then the response, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, even the people of Israel, those who were called out by God to be a people set apart, often lost track of the ultimate goal of relationship with God. Too often we can get focused on the religious rituals and the the duties that we think we're supposed to perform that somehow make us worthy in God's sight, that allow us to think that we're good people, we're, we're good, righteous, religious people because of these religious acts that we do. But if we're not careful, we can spend all of our time doing religious acts and miss the whole goal of living justly with those around us, loving mercy and walking humbly with our God. You see, relationship with God, Micah is telling us, is not about religious rituals that make us righteous. Rather, it's about being transformed by the power of God from the inside out, transformed by the love of Christ into the image of Christ in a way that allows his righteousness to become a lifestyle that we live together as community. Historically, you can go back and you can look through the centuries and we can see how followers of Jesus Christ sought to live out the example that Jesus gave to his followers and that Christians have concerned themselves throughout the centuries with helping those who have been downtrodden, the weak, the poor, the oppressed. Even early on in the historical record in the book of Acts with the early church in chapter 6, we can see the, the early model where the church intentionally made plans to respond to a need that they had within their own community. The, the, the Hellenistic widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, and the church said, oh, this is not fair. This is a justice issue. There's a problem, and we need to solve it. And so they, they actually changed the way that they did church. They, they launched a whole new ministry team that they called deacons, which is just a Greek word for servant. There's a whole new serving team to meet the needs of the widows who were not being fed. 
And so they responded with compassion. They, they looked with mercy and they, they acted justly to meet the need and to solve the problem. Through the centuries, this servant model that is based on the life and the model of Jesus reflects the larger mission of the church that Christians have always sought to live out. And it can be evident as we look at the outreach ministries uh, like founding of schools or the forming of hospitals to meet the needs of the sick and the infirm or homes for the elderly, soup kitchens, drug treatment centers, and the centuries-long and ever-changing movement to abolish slavery in all its forms, not only in this country but all around the world. In many ways, you could say that the church of Jesus Christ has been charged with prophetically calling out the brokenness and the injustices in our world. And with being engaged with issues of compassion and mercy and justice to not only meet the need, but to help solve the problem. Now, to our credit, and sometimes to our shame, Christians through the centuries have responded with varying degrees of success, and sometimes failure, and sometimes silence. But the key question for us today that I'd like to propose is, how do ministries of compassion, mercy, and justice fit into this idea of the good news of Jesus Christ that we've been entrusted with as his church? And how are they lived out in ways that lead not only to transformed lives individually and personally, but to transformed communities and a whole new experience of abundant life for those that God has called us to serve? As always, we look to Jesus as our forerunner, as as our example, and as our model. And I'd like to turn with you back to the very beginning of his ministry into Luke chapter 4. And if you recall what's happening in Luke chapter 4, he's coming out of 40 days in the wilderness where he's been tempted, and he comes to his hometown, and and he's teaching in the synagogue, and he gets up, and he's going to read the scriptures, and he takes the scroll of Isaiah, and he, he opens it to the right place, and he reads... These words, starting with verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Luke goes on to say that he stopped there, he rolled up the scroll, he sat down and he told all of his hearers that today that that scripture was fulfilled in their hearing of it. You see, we have to recognize that Jesus announced good news for the whole world. Without particular, I mean, with particular attention to those who are poor, to the captives, to those imprisoned, to, to the incarcerated, to the incapacitated, to the oppressed. Jesus' vision was not just for wealthy Christian Americans who have it all together. It was for us, but it was also with a heart of compassion for those who did not have the kinds of blessings that most of us have and experience every day. See, Jesus persistently allied himself with the untouchables of his time, as well as those that had no voice. In both word and deed, he attacked discrimination against lepers, against Gentiles, against Samaritans and tax collectors and shepherds and women and even children. See, ministries of compassion and mercy and justice intimately link our love for God with our love for neighbor, which is the greatest commandment, Jesus said, and also, which he said, encapsulates the whole purpose of the law and the prophets and God's scripture, his word to us. 
And this is what was repeatedly evidenced through Jesus' own life and ministry. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was itself the ultimate ministry of compassion and mercy and justice for you and for me. The Bible clearly teaches that these are at the heart of the mission of God as a father who is empowered by the Holy Spirit and incarnated in his son Jesus is the same mission that he has invited us to participate as the followers of Jesus Christ. And as we participate in this mission of Jesus, we enter into a a humble walk with God because we recognize that all of this this brokenness and these challenges that God invites us to, to, to have mercy and compassion for come from the sin in the world that we are invited to see we are complicit in as well. See, we understand that it's human sin is that is really at the root of all of these problems. Therefore, by their very nature, the ministries of compassion, mercy, and justice seek to address the results and the consequences of the sin in this world, which isn't just about my own personal relationship with Jesus. It's not just a personal sin issue. We recognize that the sin of humanity, of which we are a part, has created broken systems and structures that continue to have consequences and results for the people not only in our cities and in our community, but around the world. It is that sin that has given a brokenness to the whole world that ultimately led Jesus to give his whole life on the cross for the sin of humanity. You see, it's not just about personal righteousness. It's about the justice of God. It's not just about a church issue. It's about a kingdom of God issue. See, our work, as flawed as it is, is founded on God's work that he's demonstrated through Jesus Christ, that he's revealed to us in his word, that his plan is to bring redemption and reconciliation and healing to every person and to every community on earth. In our denomination, we've identified five top missional priorities. And out of all the things that we could identify, narrowing it down to five This issue has reached one of the five most important things that we believe that we need to be pursuing as a church. At the denominational level, if you go to the Covenant website, you'll see that they call it love mercy, do justice. And by love mercy, we mean meet the need. Have compassion. Be moved by the needs that you see around you. Be merciful and meet the need. But don't just stop there. Do justice means solve the problem. Think about what is causing the problem and be willing to to be part of the solution. Several weeks ago, Pastor Dick preached about the river, right? And you have the babies who are floating down the river and people begin to rescue the babies and that's meeting the need. We see babies floating down the river. That's not a good thing. Let's rescue them. We're meeting the need. But the babies keep coming and eventually they start to say, well, why are all these babies coming down the river? So you go further up the river to say, what's the problem and how are the babies getting into the river to begin with? And if we can solve the problem, then maybe we can stop that from happening and we can overcome this issue. Love mercy, do justice, meet the need, but then also work to solve the problem. It all really starts with awareness. I think too often in our culture, in our world, we can put our our blinders on and we can be worried about our first world kind of problems. You know, my cell phone isn't working. I forgot to plug it in this morning and now I can't text or email. 
Uh, we're worried about our, our own, you know, daily kind of things that, that bother us and that we're struggling with. And those are important. God cares about those things. But when we get so focused on our own needs and our own selves, we can be blind to some of the greater systemic things going on around us. Sometimes those things could even be things right within our own church community here. Tammy and I and uh, Lucas and Troy had the opportunity to go away for a couple days this last week to the annual conference uh, Pastor, Spouse, and Family Retreat. It was a time for pastors' families to just go away, to, to rest, be loved on, encouraged a little bit, and they had speakers. And, and the first speakers were, were on how to have a healthy marriage in ministry, so ministry marriage. And then they had a second speaker, and what they said is, you know, the second speaker is going to talk on singleness in ministry, because too often we talk about marriage, ministry, and family, but we skip over the fact that many people are in ministry as single people, and they have a very unique and often challenging experience of how to live as a single person in the midst of a, a community that focuses on marriage and family and kids. How many people do we have in our community right now who are experiencing some of the loneliness and the isolation and the difficulty of being single in a community that talks about marriage and family? Whether those are younger people who are, are, are not married yet, or, or maybe some of you are older people who've experienced divorce or, or have lost a loved one and find yourself single again. Do we understand that those voices of those people who, who, who may are not speaking out are, are in the midst of community feeling isolated and lonely And if we want to be a church that is intentional about not only being an intergenerational community, but a community that welcomes and enfolds all people, maybe we need to understand that we have some work to do right here to be a community of justice and mercy for those who are already coming. Or we've talked about this idea that in our culture that focuses on youth and beauty and and all the things new, that maybe some of you older people are are feeling like maybe the church is leaving you behind and we're going to leave you in the dust because, because we don't really value aged people. We don't value wisdom. We value the new and the shiny. My, my parents had a chance to travel to China a, a couple years ago, and, and my mom shared this story. She's got this great salt and pepper gray hair, and she always keeps it really nice, and, and they walk around China, and people would come up and just want to touch her and to take pictures with her because she had this gray hair. You see, in China, gray hair was, a, was a, a, an honor. It was something people you know, were, were impressed with, and, and she was just like, wow, this is great. Not here. We've got 50 billion colors of hair dye to cover it up. We've got some men who like spray paint the bald spot on the back of their head. Because we can't show our age. We have to stay young. We have to stay beautiful. Because if we're not, then our culture and our society says, you don't have worth. You don't have value. You're, you're, you're what once was, but we're focused on what is going to come. Maybe, just maybe, as a, a faith community, we have to look at justice and, and mercy and compassion for people who are older in a culture that doesn't value your wisdom and your age and, and the experience that you have. Maybe we need some prophetic voices in our own midst speaking out about the difficulty of living in community and having those experiences so that we can all become more aware of how your experience of community might not be all rosy like we think it is. Within our own society, 
that is the wealthiest nation on earth, we need to recognize that some 15% of U.S. households struggle to find food every day. Some estimates suggest that we have 16.2 million children in the United States that don't have enough to eat on a regular basis. Or maybe we need to look at the issues of racial righteousness and recognize that while we come to church and we celebrate Jesus Christ and, and, and we, we, we love what he's done for us and what he's doing in our church, we have black brothers and sisters who, who, are, who are out in the streets holding up signs, trying to get our, our nation's attention, saying, black lives matter. I, I don't get that. What are they complaining about? I mean, I'm not prejudiced. I'm not a part of the problem, am I? I mean, I feel for them. I'm sorry they're having a hard time, but, but why are they out in the streets with signs? What is it that we're missing? Why don't we get what they're trying to say? Why is it that a disproportionate number of black males are inhabiting our prison system when they don't even match that in our population? Why is it the majority of people in our prison systems are, are ethnic youth? Do, do, do we even realize that we have these systemic issues going on in our culture that, that don't touch us because we're white? And it doesn't affect us. And so we're not even aware of what their experience is. Just like you might not be aware of the experience of a single person in community sitting next to you. Our denomination has been developing these uh, journey trips, they've been calling them. It started a number of years ago in, in Chicago, and they called it the Sankofa journey, where they would get people together, and they'd put them on a tour bus, and they would drive them down to the south, and they'd hit all the civil rights, the historic civil rights spots. But the only condition for being on the trip is you got paired up with a, a person of another ethnicity, and you had to sit with them and journey with them, and you had to dialogue and talk about what you were experiencing along the way. And it was simply a way of raising awareness that somebody else's experience and somebody else's perspective might not be what your experience and perspective is. And that has grown into, on the West Coast now, in the uh, Pacific Southwest Conference, and even here in our conference, we have journey, we call it a journey to mosaic. And they happen every fall, and there's one coming up in November. And if you are at all interested, they give you the information. And you can go on a journey to Mosaic, and you can be partnered with somebody of a different ethnicity, and you can go around to some of the racially sensitive sites around the area, like the places where uh, the Japanese were interned during World War II, or, or some of the uh, Chinese immigrant places, or some of the Native American experiences. And we can learn about other people's experience. That's not just history but it's continuing to impact people of ethnicity who live in our community today. You see, raising awareness of what somebody else's experience is opens the door for us to have compassion for who they are and what they're experiencing so that we can act in mercy to maybe meet the needs that they have and then to work alongside them to solve the problem, to begin to act for justice in our society. We can go on, and there's a, probably a laundry list of these kinds of issues that are going on in our culture. I mean, let's not even get on to human trafficking. We can talk about human trafficking and the sex trade over in Asia and Malaysia and Hong Kong and those kinds of places, but do we recognize that our own youth and daughters are being stolen off the streets of America every day and forced into sex slavery and trafficking? 
Is that something that we have compassion for? Is it something, is there a need that we can meet? Is there a a way we can begin to solve that problem? If the church is not going to do it, who else is going to do it? If we're not moved to at least become aware of these needs around us, how can we begin to respond in God's name and to be God's hands and feet in our community? We can even expand into the world and the ongoing warfare and the tribal uh, clashes going on around the world and the the mass refugee crises that are happening because of ongoing warfare or the the lack of access to clean water that prevents children from growing healthy and and, and becoming whole so that they can live uh, valuable lives or the lack of sustainable economic development that allows people to to grow and to improve uh, the next generation's experience of life, kind of like we have. We've always been able to have to something a little better to our kids, a little, little better to our kids. I can tell you that most people in this world don't have that. We're, we're the lucky few who have this onward, upward, always growing, improving perspective on life. In response to Micah's question for the church in America today, for faith covenant church in this season of our life, what does the Lord require? When we come to worship every Sunday, when we want to please God, what does the Lord require? Does he require thousands of rams and sacrifices? Does he require religious rituals so that we we feel like we can check that off our list and then we go back and, you know, turn on the Seahawks game and forget what the sermon was last week? I don't know. What was it last week? What does the Lord require? And how do we live that out in our lives as a community, as a faith community? How do we love mercy and do justice as a way of worshiping God? What does doing right and doing justice look like in our community, in our world? I, I had this experience with God a number of years ago. I had taken a personal retreat day, and I was off praying, and I felt like God took me to uh, Jeremiah 29, and uh, most of us are probably really familiar with the verse in Jeremiah 29. It says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. We love that verse, right? God has plans to prosper us. God doesn't want to harm us. He's going to prosper us. And God said, you know, that's a good verse, isn't it? I said, yeah, yeah, that's a good verse. He goes, look at the whole chapter. Okay. We're not going to read the whole chapter. But if you take Jeremiah 29 and you look at the whole chapter, it starts off, it says, a letter to exiles. Jeremiah brought this word to the people of Israel when they were in exile in Babylon. They're looking around going, well, God, I I hope we can trust you because I'm not seeing it. Uh, they, they lost their hometown. They lost their national identity. They were overcome and oppressed by the people of Babylon. They were taken into slavery. They were serving in a, a, a different country. And, and God said, oh, I, I'm going to bless you. I'm not going to harm you. <laughs> and God said, look at the rest of the chapter. And there's one verse I just want to share with you today that jumped out of that chapter for me, and that's verse 7. He says, also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. You see, God didn't want the people of Israel to see themselves in opposition to Babylon, to have to be the rebellious, fight against it, 
rebels. They were supposed to pray for and seek the prosperity of the city to which they had been called because their prosperity was tied up in the prosperity of their local community. And too often, I think that we as American Christians think that our job is to be in opposition to our culture, to be in opposition to the people around us, to be the ones who have the truth. And therefore, we can look down our noses at everybody else and say, oh, if only you had the truth, if only you were doing right, then maybe you wouldn't be experiencing some of these negative consequences that you're experiencing in your life. And we falsely attach our own blessing and our own goodness experience of life to somehow because we've got it right and they've got it wrong. And God says, no, no, lift up your eyes. See the world around you. I have given my son, Jesus Christ, for the whole world. And because you are blessed, I have blessed you so that you can be a blessing. I have met your needs so that you can meet others' needs. I have shown you justice so that you can fight for justice for those who don't have the strength, who don't have the voice, who don't even know that God loves them. As we align our hearts with the heart of God, God must call us to a holistic ministry that brings hope and transformation to the people on the margins and the people overlooked, the untouchables by our society. If we're not going to touch them, who else is going to touch them? And too often, we're, our fear is that if we touch the untouchables, we will be corrupted by them. But Jesus is the one who went out and touched the lepers, and it was his mercy and his grace that brought healing and wholeness. Love overcomes all sin. As our eyes are open to the hurting in our communities and the hurting in this room right here, we are compelled to meet the immediate needs and to alleviate the pain that is going on and ultimately then to look up the river to understand what are the systems and the the structures that are causing this pain and can we also be a source of, of, of solving the problem? We must once again in this day and age find our prophetic voice as the church, leading disciples of Jesus to respond to the brokenness of the world as a biblical people of compassion who will be seen loving mercy and doing justice by the world around us. And wouldn't it be great if we as Christians, wouldn't it be great if we as Faith Covenant Church became known for our compassion, became known for our love of mercy, and became known for the ways that we were doing justice together. My hope and my prayer is that we can begin to allow God to open our eyes, to wake us up again to the ways that we can not only meet the need, but we can solve the problems of our society. Would you pray with me? God, in a minute, we're going to bring our tithes and offerings as a sign of our worship and our gratitude to you. We come to give these things, to give our praise, to give our tithes, to give our thanksgiving, not as a religious duty that somehow we can leave knowing that we've done our good job and so we can pat ourselves on the back. We, we come to give these things because we know that that your mercy and your grace and your compassion for us has purchased our whole lives. You've saved us. You've saved us from ourselves and you've given us the gift of your spirit and the power of Jesus at work within us to transform us from the inside out. Would you allow us 
to be willing to see how you want to send us out to be a blessing to the world around us? Would you use us to see with your eyes, to heal with your touch, and to change the world, one life, one community, at a time? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Invite the ushers to come receive the offerings. Has anybody seen Kurt? Have you seen Kurt? We're supposed to do announcements. Uh, Oh, hey. (laughs) Kurt. Um, Uh, I'm Kara. uh, Okay. Um, So, Kurt and I were... Cindy, what? You're having a bad hair day. On your face, too. Everybody's going to be doing it. Kurt was supposed to do announcements with me, and... um, Well, well, yeah, but but Kurt and Greg are always so serious up front. We thought it would be more fun to do announcements with some humor and some laughter, don't you think? I mean, it's much better that way. Okay. I guess we could try that. Uh, Of course. Um, Well, the message was about compassion, mercy, and justice, and we have some announcements that... Uh, have ooh, to ooh, do, ooh, have ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> we could do like a life app. Okay, sure we yeah, could yeah, try yeah. that. And 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 and, and uh, we need a drum roll. Oh yeah, that's that's my part, isn't it? Oh, I think so. Okay, can we get a drum roll, please? Here we go. Here we go. And watch this video. Operation Christmas Child is one of the great stories that's unfolding in our lifetime. 
every single box is important because it connects to hearts. The heart of the person who pops the box and the heart who is in need of that love. I think it's an awesome opportunity to change the world. We have led the children from the box to the Bible. This is just so awesome to give these children the opportunity to experience the love of Christ in a way that they've never experienced.